This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Philippians chapter 4 this morning, Philippians 4. Uh, Lord willing, we'll spend a little bit of time here. As you're turning there, though, I just want to call your attention to uh, one of our own who is uh, very faithful and uh, who is one of our Sunday school teachers, uh, Scotty Stone. Many of you may have heard already, but Scotty fell through the ceiling yesterday and uh, uh, has broken his ankle and his leg. And he is, I don't think he's out of surgery yet, uh, still in surgery. And so I'd like for us just to stop what we're doing uh, and just have a word of prayer for Scotty and, um, and for Rhonda as she waits. So if you will, just pray with me as I pray for them. Lord, we love you. And God, I thank you for your love toward us. And Lord, we see it in servants um, Lord, and Scotty and Rhonda are those servants. Lord, they, they give of so much of themselves, Lord, to make much of you, to serve this, this faith family, uh, to see your people, Lord, grow in you. And Lord, right now, Scotty's in surgery. And Lord, we know you know that. You know exactly where he is. And Lord, we just ask that you would just watch over him. Lord, I thank you for sparing him from uh, it being worse than it was. And uh, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help those that are in surgery with him now, those physicians and the nurses, Lord, all that are involved. God, I pray, Lord, for them, Lord, that you'd use them as your instruments, Lord, to make him well. Lord, that um, as he comes out of that, Lord, as he recovers, God, I pray that you'd help him to recover fully. And uh, God, that he would trust you in the midst of this, Lord, for Rhonda as she waits now. Uh, and Lord, as she prepares to, to serve Scotty even more than she already does, uh, Lord, as he heals, God, I pray for her, give her an extra measure of your grace. And Lord, I thank you for this faith family and Lord, for their willingness to care for one another, for the, uh, the authenticity of the gospel that is displayed in the way that we love one another. And so, Lord, we just pray for them now and we pray that you'd glorify yourself in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, I am thankful for those who serve. And uh, in particular, you know, just thankful for Sunday school teachers, thank, thankful for those that serve up here and, uh, and, and all over the place, all over this building. Uh, and so thank you uh, for all that you do and beyond this building. Uh, we want to start, we kind of started last week, we want to continue uh, this series uh, in stewardship. And uh, I'm going to spend a few weeks here, uh, and then I'm going to be going to First uh, Peter. I'm going to preach through the book of First Peter. And then uh, after the summer, we're looking to hopefully, we think the Lord's leading us here. Uh, Lord willing, we'll preach, um, or I'll, I'll preach through the book of Ephesians. But we're in this series called, um, What Do You Love Most? And what we're going to try to do in the midst of this series is, uh, is point to some things that oftentimes seem innocent enough, seem unrelated to your walk with the Lord, but can become reflectors of where your heart is. You know, Jesus spoke about money, and he said that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And the same, it could be said of money, it could be said of your time, it could be said of, of how you relate with others and how are you stewarding relationships. And so we've, we've pointed to some things. We're going to spend a few weeks looking at these. And today uh, we're going to look at Philippians 4 and we're going to look at money again, particularly looking at contentment. Now, the, the reason for this series is not 
not so that uh, we can just get you to, to open your wallets and, and give more. That's not the, the, the goal of this. The goal of this is to help you to walk with the Lord and, uh, and to do so in this area of money and other things. And so, uh, so we want to hit some things that are less about giving to the church and more about maybe your heart. And so today, this passage particularly, Paul reveals for us, deals with contentment, being content. Uh, contentment is, is a tough concept in today's consumer-driven culture. Would you say that's true or not? I mean, people somewhere, that's somebody saying to you, hey, buy this, you need this, right? And over 3,000 a day, which means that a child born today will likely see over 1 million commercials before the age of 20. This is over 1 million times somebody saying, hey, buy this. Hey, you need this. This will make you content. This will be the, the final fix-all. And, and this is the, what we hear in our, in our culture today. The purpose of all this marketing is to drive home two important points. One is you need what we're selling. Not you'll like what we're selling, but you need what we're selling. That's the message. And then the second message is you need it now, right? You don't, not tomorrow, not, not next week. You need it now. And that's the purpose of all this. Uh, for a limited time only, there's 0% financing and all of these things, right? And it's you need what we're selling and you need it now. Dave Ramsey has, has uh, he helps a lot of people on his um, radio call-in show and through Financial Peace University. And uh, even though we, we know he points this out, even though we know this about our culture, that our culture is marketing to us, selling us what they think, what, what, what they know won't make us content, but they claim that it will. Uh, even though we know this, I think we seem to be okay with it because we keep buying the messages, right? We, we keep getting the stuff. We like our stuff, and we seem to be okay with that. And, and I, I'm going to just reiterate to you, I'm not going to stand before you and tell you that there's something wrong with having stuff, I think everything that you have in your life, God can use that for his glory. He can use whatever it is for his glory. But Satan can also use it as a tool in your hands to detract from God's glory and to put a spotlight on yourself, to make you the center of, of your universe. And so we've got to be careful. Dave Ramsey uh, calls this kind of condition of our culture stuffitis. Um, which is a pretty clever uh, name for it. He says that a key symptom of stuffitis is nearsightedness. It causes us to, to only see what's right in front of us, and we become blind to the long-term consequences of, of what it is that we'll chase after. We only see what's right there, and we just miss. Uh, I wish I'd have saved and, and brought you the image, showed you the image, but I, I saw this week, and probably it's photoshopped, but this German shepherd uh, leaping to catch this bird, and, and he doesn't realize he's leaping off of this cliff, but he can only see the bird right in front of him, and he's just about to catch it. And even if he does, it's going to be his demise, right? And this is oftentimes what happens with the stuff that is marketed to us. We'd rather use a credit card to have something today instead of doing what our grandparents did, which was save up to buy. Or, more likely, what our grandparents did was do without, right? And, and we, 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 we don't delay anything anymore. Instead, we just go ahead and pull the trigger, even if it means paying more in the long run. 
We live in a, in a microwave age where we're used to having anything we want in, in 30 seconds or less. Um, you know, we, we, we get a new phone and, and the update or, or the, uh, the switching over or whatever takes like seven minutes. And the screen says, estimated time remaining, seven minutes. And we're going, seven minutes? I don't have seven minutes? And we have this meltdown over seven minutes, right? And it's, it, this phone is going to be incredible, but seven minutes is just too long to wait for this, right? And this is where we are in this day and age. Um, but, but, but we need help to see this. Uh, and to not be so comfortable chasing after these things that promise contentment but never deliver. And that's what I think Philippians helps us with today. Uh, One commentator said that contentment is nothing more than soul rest. Which, let me ask you the question, is your soul at rest? For too many people, the the answer to that question is no. Their souls are, are not at rest. They're constantly struggling with what's next. They're, they're worrying or, or consumed with thoughts of, uh, you know, that, that raise that they didn't get or that computer that they want to buy or that new vehicle. Look across the street and they see in the, in the neighbor's driveway, you know, that vehicle over there and why can't I have a truck like that, right? It, it, the, the Black Friday commercials that are no longer on Black Friday were, were in the middle of January, and they're still running these things for GMC, you know. And, uh, oh, you got the reindeer that light up. Well, I got this one over here. And the, guy, the, the message is, I got stupid reindeer, right? I, I want the truck. I, I, didn't, I didn't want a truck before, but now my neighbor's got the truck, and now I want the truck. And, and for a lot of people, the reality is your soul is not at rest because you're constantly looking at what you don't have, often by comparing yourself to someone else that does, or by looking at the messages that are constantly bombarding you. And God doesn't want that for us. God instead wants us to be at rest, our souls to be at rest, not in what we have, but in His goodness. And that's what we see in this passage today. If you will, follow along with me. I'm going to read Philippians 4, uh, verses 10 through 13. The Bible says here, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is an often quoted verse, particularly by athletes. And usually they quote that verse right after they have scored the winning touchdown or, or something else, and I can do all things. I have this superpower that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and they use it as a blanket promise to which God never intended it to be used. Paul here is speaking of dealing with the, his circumstances that he's presently in and being content in the middle of those. Do you know that when Paul wrote this book, this letter to the Philippians, that when Paul wrote this, he wrote it from prison? And he wasn't there just visiting someone, and he wasn't there as a guard. He was there as a prisoner. And Paul wrote this as a prisoner with no freedom, no privacy. 
He was, he, was, um, he was chained to a different Roman guard every hour. Every hour, someone, they bring a new guard in, chain him to, to Paul, and, and Paul just saw this as, I mean, he had no freedom. He saw it as an opportunity to have another conversation about the gospel with, with somebody new, but he had no freedom, no, per, no privacy. He, he had no assurance that he would ever be released. He didn't know whether he would, he would live past his imprisonment. He might lose his life for the sake of the gospel. But it was Paul who said, for me to live is what? Christ and to die is gain, right? Paul was a man who, who once had everything, though. He's, he's in prison now, but he once had everything. He had power. He had prestige. He had respect. He had possessions. But in Philippians... We, we learn that now following Christ has cost him all those things, and he's now in prison. And, and we learn this, Philippians 3, just a chapter before this, in verses 7 through 11, Paul said, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And that's, um, that's, that's a, it's a math term, which means I just did the math, and for the sake of knowing Christ, everything else is, is, is insignificant. He says, indeed, I I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means, any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is very different preaching than what you'll hear from a lot of TV preachers today. A lot of TV preachers will say things like, if you'll just, if you'll just follow Christ, then all will go well for you. You'll hear TV preachers say, if you'll sow a seed into our ministry, God will bless you just in abundance, and you'll have everything that you dream of. You hear these things, and, and sometimes I'll watch these things on, on these preachers on TV and, and, and just to kind of listen to what's being said, and I listen and I think, do people really buy into this? And they must, because there are so many of these TV preachers that are flying around in private jets and living in multi-million dollar homes. And they have no product that they're selling other than if you'll sow into our ministry, God will bless you. And so many of those that are giving and, and, and pouring into that ministry are living in poverty. They're being fleeced by these that are taking advantage of them. And, and Paul's words here to the Philippians sound so different Paul is saying to them, I had everything, but you know what? I had nothing because I didn't have Christ. And now that I have Christ, I look at all that stuff that I had and I count it as rubbish. I didn't realize the emptiness of all that I thought I had until I lost it for the sake of knowing him. And now all I want to do is be like him, to be conformed to him in his death his resurrection, to know him in this way that I walk with him as not only my Savior, but as my Lord who calls the shots over my life. This is what Paul is saying. 
And, and he's, he's writing this letter to them from prison, communicating these things to them. And, and the reason he writes this letter to them is because the Philippian church had sent a gift to him to relieve some of his suffering by way of a messenger. And, and it's, a, it's a generous thing and it's a, and a loving thing. And Paul stops in the middle of this letter to express his gratitude for, to them for that gift. And that was our passage for today. He stops, and, and what I read to you earlier, that's, that he stops to thank them. I, I thank you that you have revived your concern for me. The Philippian church had, had, had given a gift so that he could, could be well, and it's almost in Paul's thanking them, he, he wants to make it clear that God has already given him everything that he needs. It's as if Paul is saying, thank you for sending this to me. That, that was indeed a, a blessing. However, I want you to understand, you who are free, not chained to a guard every hour, not wondering if you will ever leave from where you are, but those of you who are free and well off, I, I want you to understand that contentment isn't about the stuff that I have with me. Contentment is a condition of the heart, and, and in Christ, all my wants needs and desires have already been met. This is what Paul is saying. We'll see this as we walk through this together. If he abs- what, he's, what he's saying, the crux of it is, if I absolutely lost everything but still had Jesus, I would be the richest man in the world. That's what he's saying. And my question to you today and to myself as I'm looking at this message can I say that? Is that my attitude? That if I lost everything that is precious to me in this world, but, but still had Christ, would I say I'm, I'm a rich, blessed man? Or would I in that moment curse God and walk away from him? I pray that wouldn't be the case. I pray that we would all know the contentment that comes from knowing the Lord. And many of us don't know this level of contentment because we have never suffered like Paul suffered shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments and all these things for the sake of knowing Christ. I want to give you today three characteristics from the passage, three characteristics of contentment. First is this, contentment means trusting God. I would add to that, contentment means trusting God, not visa. Where do you turn when you have an emergency? To, to God or to your credit card? I mean, many of us probably at times turn to our credit card, turn to this or that, but do we, do we first go to God? Do we trust Him? And here's what I mean by trusting Him, because trusting is, is sometimes seen as this sort of just, it, it's, it's a passive thing that we don't ever actually have to invest anything, but that's not the biblical view of trusting. Trusting is an word. To trust God is, is, in an emergency begins by trusting him before the emergency. This means obeying what he teaches about money. It means avoiding debt. It means being generous for the sake of his name. In particular, I want to show you that it means to save. The Bible teaches that we ought to be people that save. Not, not saving in, in, that, that resembles hoarding, but that we ought to be people that save. 
Trusting God means obeying what he commands. And people often excuse their lack of saving by saying something like, well, I, I'm, I'm just going to trust God to provide what I need when I need it. Well, they may even quote Philippians 4.19. If you look down at that, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And it may sound pious and spiritual and sacred to say, ah, there's no need to save. God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. I'm just going to trust him to provide what I need. But in doing so, we're ignoring what he's already told us to do. And trusting God means doing what God has already told us to do. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, I shared this verse with you last week, says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. What the Bible there is, is prescribing for you and I is that we wouldn't just gobble up everything that comes into our hands. And I've said to you many times as your pastor that we ought to be the most generous people in the world. I've often given you that illustration. I put my hands out before you and I say, if God places things in our hands, we don't want to be people that, that close those things and, and hold on to those things. Instead, we want to be people that hold those things openly and say, God, take it as you need it. But God doesn't contradict himself either. God also says for us that what I place in your hands, be wise with it and put some away. Because sooner or later, it's going to rain. This world is, is, is not all, you know, puppies and kittens and rainbows and all those things, right? This, this world sometimes brings some junk into our lives. And sometimes God says, I'm going to prepare for, provide for you ahead of time by asking you to, to put a little back. We see this in the case of Joseph as he led Egypt to be prepared in the case of drought. Trusting God means more than, than lip service. We have to actually demonstrate our faith. We literally put our money where our mouth is. And we say we believe these things, but instead we don't just speak them. Instead we, we do what he says. We obey Trusting God, uh, by, according to Richard Mellick, one of the commentators I studied for this, said one mark of maturity in Christ is that the mature know how to depend on the Lord in every situation of life, not only in those for which they assume they need help. You know, there are some situations we find ourselves in and we say, yeah, I need God now. It's obvious. It's obvious to everyone we need help. But do we, do we really look at God and, and understand that we need God for everything? That it's God who causes the sun to shine on us. It's God who causes the rain to fall on us. It's God who puts bread in our hands. It's, it's God who gives every good gift from heaven. Do we understand that we need God for everything, that we are hopeless without him? And trusting God by obeying his commands is a proven financial principle. This is, not a, this is not a health and wealth gospel where if you'll, if you'll do what God says here, then he's going to bless you. I'm not telling you that God's going to give you every single thing that you could possibly desire. I mean, there are things, I mean, let's, let's, get, let's get real. Let's, let's go today, right, to, to, uh, to Cabela's, uh, to Academy. Let's go to, to uh, uh, Best Buy and all these. Look, we're going to walk through there and we're going to go, man, I'd like to have that. That'd be fun right there. Let's go to the car lot. We'd say, man, that, that would be nice, right? I'm not telling you if you'll do these things, if you'll, if you'll save and you'll obey what God says to you, that you, he's going to give you everything you could possibly want. But I am telling you 
that you will find a contentment there in God that you can't know it any other way. When emergencies come, if we've been faithfully obeying God's word, we find that he has indeed provided for our every need. We save for those rainy days because God has instructed us to do so. Number two, a second characteristic here of, um, of trusting God is that contentment, um, or second characteristic of contentment, contentment means being thankful for what you have. You ever notice what happens to your attitude about what you have when, when an attack of stuffitis begins to come your way? I mean, up to that point, you had been perfectly okay with, with what you had. Your, your vehicle that you were driving, man, you loved it. It was great, wasn't it? You washed that thing, and you know it wasn't new, but it, it, was, it was great. You, you were thankful for it, and man, it was, it was fantastic. But all of a sudden, somebody else gets a newer vehicle or a bigger truck or this or that, and you begin to look and say, how come, how come they can have that and I can't have that? Man, I really like how in, inside, in their interior, this thing does this and, and that does that. And all of a sudden, you come back to your old vehicle, which you were content with and you loved uh, just prior to that, and you begin to notice that the interior looks faded. And there's that one French fry that's between the seats that you have not been able to get out for about three and a half years, right? And there's this odor. Man, I didn't notice this odor before, but man, something in here stinks. I can't get that odor out of here. You begin to hear mystery noises in the engine. You hear that? You know, you take it to your, to your mechanic. You start making, you know, the, the noises, and they just laugh at you, you know. Do that again, you know, and they, they do all that. You start noticing every ding and every little place in the, in the finish, and you say, I need a new car, right? I need a new car. And all of a sudden, what you were content with and you were thankful with before all of a sudden becomes a need because of something you saw. And all of a sudden, this stuffitis has attacked you. Paul shows us that, in the, that that's not a biblical attitude. Look at verse 12. In Philippians 4, verse 12, he said, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In other words, I know what it is to do without and I know, I know how to do with a lot. And he goes on and he says, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And for Paul, what he's pointing to is thankfulness. Understanding that God owes me nothing. If I have no vehicle, God's not being unjust to me. I look around and I see what I have and I say, God, you don't owe me any of this, but God, you've been gracious to give it to me. So Lord, let me take it and let me take care of it and let me be thankful for it. And God, use it however you would use it, Lord, to make much of you. In my life, Lord, work through me as a steward of this for you. Everybody think back to your very first vehicle if you've had one so far. Some of you have, you think back to some horror stories. I mean, you think back and you say, man, I was just glad if I got where I was going that I didn't, you know, have to get up under it or something like that. Uh, my very first vehicle uh, was, a, was a 1988, which was fairly new to me. I was, uh, it was 1990 uh, when I was turning 16, but it was a 1988 Mazda pickup truck, just standard cab, uh, but it had been stolen and recovered. 
and everything had been stripped out of it, you know. And so when I got it, it had nothing. I mean, it, just, it, had, it had a seat and a stick shift and a steering wheel and some pedals. You know, no radio, nothing in there, right? But, man, I took that thing, and I thought, man, I thought, this is, this is wonderful. This is the best truck ever in my life. I've never seen anything like this. And I'd wash that thing, and I would shine it up, and I would drive it through Gatlinburg on Friday and Saturday nights. You know, I'd cruise, and I thought I was the stuff, you know. I was thankful for what I had. And, and one of, the, one of the, the, the markers of contentment is that we would be thankful, that we would look around and see what we have. And we would say, God, you owe me nothing, but you've given me so much. Thank you, God. Third marker of, of contentment is contentment means giving generously in all circumstances. Contentment means that we hold on to our stuff less. Now, I think, you, man, Pastor, you're contradicting yourself. You told us to save. But now you're saying we should be generous. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. Those things are not contradictions. Yes, we should save and be wise stewards, but we should also hold on or, or, or hold those things loosely and say, God, whatever you place in my hands, Lord, help me to be a generous giver. Lord, help me to notice the people around me that, that need more help. Help, help, me to, help me to see the situations where, God, you need to shine. And Lord, with what I have, with what little bit I have, God, or what, what great amount you've placed into my hands, Lord, whatever the case may be, Lord, would you take it and Lord, would you help me to part with it quickly for the sake of your name? Contentment means giving generously in all circumstances. And this is what Paul models in verse 13 when he said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Meaning, Look, I know what it is to have everything. Man, I had power and prestige. I was known. I went to the best schools. And now I'm sitting here and I'm chained to another Roman guard. I'm in prison. I don't know what's around the corner for me. I don't know if I'm going to see tomorrow. But you know what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be generous with this life because this life is what I have. And God, I'm giving out of what I have. Bring me another jailer. Bring me another guard. Chain him to me. You know what? Because I haven't told him about you yet. That should be the attitude of our lives. Richard Mellick, the commentator I quoted to you earlier, also said, Paul knew that where the Lord led him, he had power. He knew that the will of God limited the application of the strength he knew. Many who misapply this verse, first, or Philippians 4.13 Many who misapply this verse step out of God's will for their lives. They hope to cover their actions by a blanket promise of power, but power comes not outside the will of God, but power comes in the will of God, he says. That's a great principle for us all to wrap our, 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 our heads around. Thus, Paul expressed a crucial paradox. He was strong when he was weak. He was independent only when he was dependent. You and I need to have this understanding that God will do much through us when we start depending on him more, when we follow him where he leads us to go, where we realize that there are some areas that we, 
we want to follow him there, but we think, I don't have the resources for that. I, I don't have the aptitude for that. I, I'm not sure I could go there. That scares me to death. And God says, if you'll go there, if you'll follow me, just be obedient. You'll find that my strength is an account that you can't drain dry. When you face up to your weakness and you just give out of that, you're going to find that I'm going to supply everything that you need. Giving changes our mindsets, even when we have very little to give. I said to the membership class this morning that really the the concept of the tithe is not really a New Testament principle. Nowhere in the New Testament is the church commanded to tithe. It's it's more of an Old Testament um, command. But the reality is it does not mean that you and I should be stingier givers than they were in the Old Testament. That on this side of the cross, when you and I have received the grace that can only be found in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone, that it ought to propel us to be even more generous than they were in the Old Testament when they were looking forward to the the Messiah, but he hadn't yet come. That we ought to be people that are so generous and giving a tithe serves as a reminder of, of ownership. It's a concrete recognition that God owns it all. When, when you, and I understand this, some of you will, will look at your bank accounts and you look at your bills you have to pay and, 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 and you're laying everything out and you say, no, I, would, I would love, I would love to be more generous. I would love to give to the church. I would love to, to give to this ministry or that. But man, I look at what, what I've got to pay and, and I just don't have anything left. When we, when we look at it that way, we're, we're looking at it as if everything I have is dependent on me to produce these things. And everything I have is a result of my work and my hard labor. And as men, we, we get that because that's taught to us from an early age. You, you have what you get because you work hard for it. Now, son, go out and work hard. My dad would instill that in me. My dad worked in Gatlinburg washing dishes when he was very young at, at, at a restaurant up there. I started when I was in eighth grade washing dishes in, in a breakfast restaurant up there in Pigeon Forge. And my dad is the one thing that he would brag on me for is, is a work ethic. But the reality is, guys, everything we have belongs to him. That we own nothing outright. Do you know that your family is his? That your house and your cars and your job, that all of that is his? That he's graced you with what you have and he can take it from you in an instant? And when you and I come to what we have and we say, well, I don't have enough. I don't don't have enough to invest in God. We see ourselves as the God of our world. But if we can get our minds around this understanding, this truth of, God, you own everything I have. You've placed everything into my hands. And so, God, if you ask me to give some of it back to you, there's no skin off my back. You've been so generous in the first place. Why would I think if I give to you, you're going to start being stingy to me? Instead, we come to what we have and we say, God, you are worthy of all of my affection. Lord, if you want it, take it. And we willingly give to God out of that attitude. And we say, God, I trust you to meet my needs. You own everything, so God, meet my needs. Give me this day my daily bread. This is the attitude that is taught for us all throughout Scripture. 
Psalm 24:1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything is his. Giving a tithe demonstrates your contentment with what you have. You'll never be a, a giver, and, and I say giving a tithe, they're giving a tithe, they're being a generous giver, demonstrates your contentment with what you have. You'll never be a giver if you're not convinced that what God has given you is enough to meet your needs. Well, some of us need to get this. God, if, if you don't give me a promotion, God, if you don't give me a new vehicle, God, if you don't move me into a bigger house, Lord, if you don't this or that, God, it's okay, I know. Lord, you know better than I do. I'm, I'm apparently, Lord, in your sovereign wisdom, equipped right now to handle what you've placed in my life. So, Lord, make me content right here. Lord, you've given me enough. Well, that's a big principle, isn't it? The principle of enough. So what's the conclusion in all of this? Because I want to finish up a little early. The conclusion in all of this, if we talk about contentment, the world isn't teaching us about contentment. The world is sending us 3,000 commercial messages a day. The world is, is sending us 1 million plus in the first 20 years of our lives of you need this, you need it now. I mean, you think about how many pieces of fitness equipment have come out and revolutionized this and that. And now they got these little boards that you stand on and you swivel back and forth while you watch TV, right? You know? Making $40 a pop off those things. Because everything else, man, it doesn't work. But man, that thing will work. It's a piece of plastic and it's bendy, you know, and you stand on it. And look, the people on TV. <laughs> the world isn't teaching contentment. The world says that we should take all we can get, that we should borrow for what we want, and we should satisfy our desires immediately. The world doesn't offer long-term solutions. It only focuses on short-term desires. But contentment is an active choice to trust God and His Word, no matter our circumstances. Contentment makes us available for whatever God would have for us, that we would go where He says to go, we would give where he says to give. And if, if you're living like the world says you should live, man, you don't have extra things to give. You can't. You can't be generous. You can't go if God says, hey, I want you to pick up your family and I want you to go here. You can't do it because you've got all these obligations, this debt that's holding you down. But if you practice these principles and seek the contentment that can be found by trusting God and his word alone, then when God calls you wherever, you can say, Yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. That's my prayer for us, is that we would find the contentment that comes through trusting God by obeying his word. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love. Lord, for your wisdom that you've given to us, that you've shown us. Lord, I thank you that you are a gracious giver. Lord, that, uh, that so much of what we have in our life, Lord, that all of it comes from you. And Lord, that we have so much that we take for granted. God, I pray that you would set us free, Lord, from uh, the endless pursuit toward this promised contentment from the world. And Lord, that you would help us to be content with trusting you and obeying your word. God, help us to see that what you've given us is enough, that it's wise for us to, to be content there. 
Lord, glorify yourself through the things that we have. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what's been said here today, the passage that we've read and looked at, um, to just spend some time just before the Lord asking him to, to speak to your heart, to show you steps of obedience and action that you need to take. And, and as you do that, just to be ready and prayerful that God would actually answer you and that you would be obedient, that you'd ask him to give you the faith to obey. As Ethan leads us, as he plays, you can sit in your seat and kind of just reflect on those things and, and talk to God where you are. You can get up out of your seat and you can come down here and kneel across the front and pray if you'd like. There's a prayer room out those doors to my right and to your left uh, where people are there and they would love to pray with you. I'm going to be seated on the front row. I'd love to speak with you if you need to speak with me. But any way that we can help you to follow God as he has revealed himself to be followed in his word, we would love to do that for you. So you say yes as God leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.